Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. dark travels hostess so before we begin tonight's episode i want to just kind of touch bases on something kind of like we talk about this for a second so last week when i was doing the editing for natalie wood part one i needed to move some tracks around some some parts around and it turned out that I accidentally left a second track running whilst the main track was going and oops yes exactly and the thing is is that people heard it and so now I'm like exceptionally embarrassed what'd they hear so sometimes when I move stuff around or add stuff to kind of bridge pieces together, I put on a second track and the second track will play simultaneously with the first track, the, the main track. And so they hear the pieces that I was trying to move around while the main track was playing. And I only spotted this because I had to, I was altering my notes to the very last moment of recording the podcast. So my original notes didn't match what my new notes said. So I wanted to confirm what I had stated. And so when I pushed play and I heard the two tracks going, and it's only for like 40 seconds, but it's the first 40 seconds. And it was just... I mean, I was like, what the hell? And it all dawned on me what had happened. I didn't delete the second track. Oops. Yeah. So, but my point is this. (laughs) If in the future I make this unfortunate and rare, let's say rare, auditorial mistake, audio mistake, somebody... And we have dedicated listeners. I could see you listening every week. Send me an email saying, girl, you've done it again. Or something's up. Check your audio. Peace out. I mean, I just. Well, nobody's perfect. I understand that. But that was Except just. me. That's not even really accurate. But the point is, is that I just. This wave of total embarrassment occurred. And, you know, here's kind of my. I guess my overall uh, issue is, you know, this might have been, that episode might have been the first episode anybody ever heard from our podcast. So hearing that. Yeah, like I said, nobody's perfect. 
Well, I'm just saying, hearing that would probably turn me off. It's like, oh, they obviously don't have their crap together. But in reality, it really was, I I mean, I rarely make this kind of mistake. And, you know, like I said, sometimes I have to move things around to make things sound more cohesive. Because sometimes when we talk, we understand what we're saying to each other, looking at each other, but it doesn't necessarily translate to the audience who can't see us communicating. And more importantly, sometimes, I don't know why, but sometimes this machine will mute all by itself in particular special or important parts. We have a ghost. I think so too. But the point is, is that when that happens, I have to fix it. So... Sometimes I have to do extra editing. That's my point. And that's what happened here. I'm sure it'll be fine. Either way, in the future, please, I beseech my listeners, especially my dedicated ones, to send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com saying, girl, love the podcast, but you need to fix your audio. And I'd be like, cool. Thank you. I'd probably even give you a shout out. But, okay, that's it. That's that's my five cents, five minutes worth of <laughs> embarrassment. Eh. All right, so getting back. So normally I would say, hello, hello, I am Vina, and I am your Dark Travels hostess. As with part one, I am joined with husband Jeff, as Hi. you can hear. Tonight, we're going to complete our conversation and dive into the dark waters surrounding the mysterious death of Natalie Woods, one of America's first sweethearts, iconic females in Hollywood, just this, you know, Hollywood movie royalty. Are we going to try to figure out who done it? Well, we're going to talk about a lot of curious parts surrounding her death. Somebody knows who done it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Somebody does know who has done it. And we have a murderer living in our midst. Correct. Correct. For like the last 40 years. So when we last left off, I shared how Dennis did not tell the police about the argument between Natalie and her husband, Robert, Robert Wagner, on Friday night. And the argument was so egregious, I guess. It was to the point where, you know, Natalie orders Danvers, Dennis, to take her to the land And they basically seek refuge at a hotel. And I shared how Robert himself gave one account of the broken wine bottle on the boat to the detective in 1981. And then he gives a completely different account in the HBO special, the 2020 special documentary, Natalie Wood, What Remains Behind. And just to refresh the difference, per the detective who gave an interview a TV interview to, I believe it was 48 Hours, in 2011, he said that Robert blamed the broken bottle on the rough seas, whereas in the HBO documentary, he admits to breaking the bottle out of anger in, like, a heated moment. Mm. Now, I know this may not seem like a big deal. I do argue, however, that Dennis not telling them about the fight on Friday and Robert didn't tell the cops about the argument on Saturday, to me, doesn't paint the truth about what possibly led to her death. I don't believe she got into the dinghy, the Prince Valiant dinghy, willingly, but 
let's just say she did, you know, for shits and giggles. Let's say that she did. If she had, it would be probably driven by the fact that there was arguing on Friday, arguing Saturday, of course, of the weekend. It doesn't, you know, share the truth about her death. You know, why would she would make this choice if everything was peachy king? You understand? Mm -hmm. So being honest about what really transpired is, in my opinion, the right thing to do. Now, I do not believe that she got on that dinghy willingly. I do not. And now we're going to you know, dive into why I don't believe she did and why the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department would reopen her death case 40 years after it happens. So we talked about Robert in the last episode. Let's talk about Dennis. And to refresh everybody's memory, Dennis Danvers was the splendor, the boat's maintenance guy. He was not necessarily the captain, but he was the caretaker of the boat and who was present for that weekend in November in 1981. Eventually, Dennis will come clean about the Friday night argument. He will come clean. I think he, he, I mean, he puts it in his book called Goodbye, Natalie, Goodbye, Splendor. And whether or not you think he, he does this to capitalize on her death or not, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department has shared that aside from the confrontation that Natalie had with Robert, which led to them staying in the hotel on the island, they also have witnesses corroborating Dennis's account of Natalie and Robert's fight that Friday night. Where did they get into a fight at? On the boat. On the boat. Right. Well, what witnesses were there? Were there... They're parked. They're anchored in the harbor. So there are other boats around. There are, you could see. Well, other boats. People on other boats saw them fighting. arguing or fighting or whatever. Correct. Okay. So they weren't people on the boat with them. Well, we're going to get into the, about the people on the boat with them. Okay. So a boat nearby, people on a boat nearby claim to have been close enough to see and hear Robert and Natalie fighting that Friday night. And... One of the recent detectives on this case, a Ralph Hernandez, states, Natalie, to this witness, appeared to be the aggressor in the argument, appeared to be intoxicated. Robert appeared to try and walk away from, from the argument. At the point where he's walking away, she actually fell down to one knee. And again, this fight on Friday is about whether or not to move the Splendor to the other side of the Catalina Island. Another detective, another current detective or recent detective, a Lieutenant John Carina, states he, he meaning Robert, wanted to move the boat at night, but she, obviously meaning Natalie, didn't want him driving the boat at night. It's kind of dangerous to do that, especially when it's so rough there and rainy. Because again, one of the key things we have to remember that this is a weekend where it stormed. There, the sea's rough, the water's, you know, everything's wet from the rain. And this perpetuates Natalie ordering Dennis to get the dinghy down and to take her to the island. Because once she gets on Catalina Island... she didn't island, want the boat to move? But correct. Robert, Robert wanted the boat to move. Right. But he, she didn't. Okay. Right, and, the, and this argument just, you know, explodes. So she gets the dinghy out. She tells Dennis to get the dinghy out, because remember, she does not know how to get the dinghy. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. 
Once she gets on the island, she calls around, tries to get off the island, but again, it's storming. The, nobody's taking little planes off this island. And to quote Lieutenant John Karina, she couldn't get a boat or a flight out of there because of the weather and the time of night. So she spent the night there. And Denver's goes on to claim that while they were in the hotel room, Natalie basically spent the night crying on his shoulders, talking about a divorce, talking about leaving. But we all know she had a change of heart in the morning. And on Saturday, we know she goes, she and Dennis go back to the boat. As I said earlier in the previous episode, Robert goes down to take a nap. And Natalie and Christopher Watkins, who's also there, because remember I said there's four people on the boat, Natalie, Robert, Dennis, and Christopher Watkins. They head into shore, and they go to Doug Reese Harbor Restaurant. And according to Lieutenant John Karina, he says, and I quote, According to other people who were there at the bar, at the restaurant, they describe him, him being Robert, as irritated. He was tense. And according to Danver, Natalie and Walken were kind of ignoring him. They didn't really acknowledge him from the whole time. And they were kind of having a good time by themselves, partying and drinking. But it's when they get back to the boat where things turn deadly because, unfortunately, this is... The night either she dies or the night before she dies. So back on the boat, per Dennis, Wood changes into her flannel nightgown, her warm socks. She joins Christopher Watkins and Dennis and Wagner in what he calls the saloon, the living area of the boat. And Natalie puts on a kettle for tea. Dennis says, I light a couple of candles. I open a bottle of wine. Natalie and Christopher continue to giggle, just having fun, and then Robert Ragnar, out of the blue, pick up a bottle of wine and smashed it. Lieutenant John Karina says, it breaks and goes everywhere, and he yells at Watkins, what are you trying to do, fuck my wife? And everything kind of stops. And per Dennis, Natalie's response is, I can't take this, and she goes into her room. Now, at this point in time, this is where Dennis's and Robert's stories really start to contrast each other. Because in the HBO special in, in, that was released in 2020, Robert says, Watkins went up on deck. I followed him. We talked. We talked. But I calmed down. I calmed down. And then we came back down and we talked some more. And then he went to bed. Dennis says, after Robert broke the wine bottle, Watkins goes to his room. And Wagner goes into the room he shares with Natalie. And they start yelling, and arguing, and things are getting thrown about. Now, Danvers says, at this point, he leaves and goes up to the bridge at the top of the boat, and he hears them arguing, and the arguing's getting louder, and he's hearing a lot of thumping. Lieutenant John Karina says, it, he says, Dennis, sounds like there's a physical fight going on there to the point he's so concerned he... He walks down and he knocks on the door. So Dennis knocks on the door. And again, per Lieutenant Karina, 
Robert Wagner opens the door and he says, Dennis says, that he has this crazed look in his eyes and he says, Dennis says, is everything okay, boss? And he's, Robert Wagner, like, go away. And Robert looked so angry, he says, that Dennis is responds, I was worried about my own safety that I just, I left. I went back to the bridge. So, so he just left him down there to fight and argue whatever correct. they were doing. And one of the things I want to point out is Dennis, in all the articles that I read, and including this particular one where I'm quoting everybody, there is no indication that Dennis actually sees how Natalie looks at this point in time. Okay? So she could be dead already, maybe. Who knows? I'm not... I mean, it's only speculation. Right. So... He goes back up to the bridge. He tells the cops that his line of sight was blocked by the boat's rain shield, but he can hear everything. Dennis says the the fight continued, and then to the back of the boat, I was concerned that something really bad was going down because the fighting, the arguing was so intense. Now, one of the things we do have to acknowledge is that Dennis has changed his story. This was not the original version he told the police in 1981. And on top of all that, he kind of discredits himself by selling information to tabloid magazines, and then he's got So he's his, a liar. Right. Well, I'm acknowledging... He changed the story. That's a lie. Right. I'm acknowledging that there's problems. There's credibility problems. There's a lie somewhere. Right. And, you know, of course, then he's got his book that he has. And... This was this credibility issue was presented and asked of the investigators. And Lieutenant Karina says, You got to understand, I'm quoting him, you got to understand, Devon, back then, people mischaracterized him as the captain of the boat. He was not the captain of the boat, he was the caretaker of the boat. Robert Wagner's the guy who pays him. That's his meal ticket. If you look at it, Robert Wagner's statement at that time, they almost parrot each other. Because, again, they all had the same story. We know this because the detective at that time said they all told me the same thing. Now, despite the credibility concern, the Sheriff's Department does look into it. They even go to Hawaii where the boat is because it's been sold since. And they actually go a couple of times. And I believe Dennis even joins them to kind of walk through that night. And... You know, they're there taking measurements, they're taking pictures, they're trying to figure out basically this puzzle. They're trying to piece this puzzle together. And they do come to believe that they can verify Dennis's version of events. And what's more... Which version, though? You said he had two. I understand that. When he decides to come clean, when he decides to get it off his conscience... That version. That version. Okay. But the thing is, after the sheriff's department has their press conference announcing the reopening of this case, they actually get a break. Two witnesses come forth and tell the detectives they not only heard the fight, one of them says they saw 
it happened. So the so Detective Hernandez says the witnesses he's referring to the witnesses saw figures on the back of the splendor, a male and female whose voices they recognized as being Robert Wagner and Natalie Wood arguing in the back of the boat. And you know, one of the people who they're talking to says, How credible are these witnesses? And Lieutenant Karina says, They're very credible. They have no reason to lie. And their story matches what Dennis Danver says. So Dennis's version is after they start arguing, there's like this dead silence. And the witnesses confirm that the argument stops suddenly. Dennis says, then all of a sudden there's nothing, complete silence. But the main issue here again, and this is quoting Lieutenant Karina, no one saw anybody go in the water. Nobody heard a splash. Nobody heard anything. They just heard the argument and then silence. Now, Karina goes on to say, and Danver, after 10 minutes after the fight ended, finally went back downstairs. Robert Ragnar is now in the stateroom, and he, he being Dennis, sees Robert crying and says, and this is, Ro- this is Robert Ragnar saying this, Natalie's gone, she's missing. Karina then says that Robert Wagner tells Danver to, to go search the boat for her. And one of the things that we want to remember, this is a 55 or 60 foot boat. It's its own little island, you understand. It's tiny. Small. Yeah. Now, Lieutenant Karina goes on to say, Dennis, he, he can't find her anywhere. He comes back and tells Robert, him, I can't find her. And Robert Wagner says, oh, the dinghy's now missing as well. And it is at this point in time where both detectives, Karina Hernandez, think it's possible that somebody could have untied the dinghy while Dennis was searching the boat. Dennis says, I didn't untie it. Christopher didn't untie it. I don't think Natalie would have untied it. Danver also says that Wagner refused to call for help. According to Lieutenant Karina, and Robert Wagner tells him, him being Dennis, maybe she just went into town to think go to a bar or something. Now, this is like 11 o'clock at night. I'm not sure what's open. I mean, even now. Bars would be open normally. I mean, I don't know about a little place like that. I've never been there. So So Dennis says, I said to Robert Wagner, maybe we should turn on the searchlight. Dennis says that Wagner replies, don't do that. Lieutenant Karina goes on to say that Dennis says, well, maybe we should get on the radio and call somebody. Robert Wagner says, no, we don't want to call anybody. Let's just wait and see if she comes back. Sounds awful fishy. Right. He tells the investigators, at that point in time, Wagner breaks out a bottle of scotch, and the two men sit around drinking while more than an hour passes. And who, 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 who's drinking? Danver? And Wagner. And Wagner. They're drinking scotch together. And where's Christopher in all of this? In his room asleep or something? think right right okay Okay. now when the police get interviewed the interviewer poses this to karina and hernandez by robert wagner's own statement he knew she was missing by around midnight but no call no call for help is made until 1 30 and 
Lieutenant Karina responds saying, right. When he did make that call, it wasn't for, hey, need to search the water for her. He asked people in town to search for her in town. When they finally convinced Robert Wagner, hey, we need to call the Coast Guard. And kind of he almost reluctantly, he said, okay, yeah, well, I guess we better call them. And that happens, the phone call to the Coast Guard happens at 3.30 in the morning. So four hours have gone by when he finally okays the call, the Coast Guard. And again, during the interview that Lieutenant Karina provides, the, the interviewer says, what do you make of that? And Karina responds, well, if your wife is missing and the dinghy is missing, I'm going to go look for her. I want to find her right away. I'm going to be worried about her, especially in seas like that. It's dark out. She, meaning Natalie, doesn't like the water. She, meaning Natalie, doesn't like to swim. There's no reason for her, meaning Natalie, to get in that dinghy and go anywhere. So, just I'm putting myself in these people's shoes. If I'm this Danver guy and she's missing and I care at all about her, I don't care what her husband's like. No, don't call anybody. Bullshit, I'm... <laughs> I'm calling somebody because she's gone and we don't know where she's at. Right. And to me, that would make me an accessory to anything nefarious. Well, I, I don't know if they were thinking like that. I don't know that I would necessarily be thinking like that, but I would be more concerned for somebody who, you know, maybe she's not my friend, but it doesn't sound like they weren't. I mean, it sounds like they were on friendly terms. I mean. Right. Now, Lieutenant Karina goes on to say, because again, he goes on to say, there's no reason for her to get into that dinghy and go anywhere. He goes on to say, if she wanted to go somewhere, she would have asked Dennis Danver to take her somewhere. Like she did the night before when she got into town. He did. That's his job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then he goes on to state, Karina, it doesn't make any sense, the story Robert Wagner is telling. And it doesn't make any sense to me that... To say that she would get in the dinghy by herself and just take off? And people have been been known to say she didn't even know how to maneuver the dinghy. So, Coast Guard finally gets called at 3 a.m. And the search goes just immediate into high gear. Even friends of the Wagners jump on their boats and start looking. And it is a gentleman by the name of Doug Bombard who sees something red bobbing in the water. And finds her at 7.44 a.m. So it's daylight now. Yes. Or we assume. I mean, it should be at 7, like 8 o'clock in the morning. And I'm going to quote Doug Bombar. It was about this far from shore where I found the body. The body was basically hanging in that jacket. That jacket was booing her up. She had a cotton nightgown on and her hair was floating, as you can imagine. So he calls for law enforcement. Law enforcement authorities arrive and... Doug heads to the Splendor to tell his friend, Robert, that he has found his wife. Dead. Dead. Yep. Now, I want to read to you parts of her autopsies. Uh, Can I just say that if, like, at some point in time, regular old Joe, like me, probably would have been convicted of murdering his wife. But I don't know what the deal is. But if it would have been me, I'd be in jail for killing my wife. I mean, but I'm not a cop, so I don't know. This is the reevaluation of her autopsy, and it is dated May 20th, 2012. And this, I'm just reading 
So they went over the report. And they met and they went over, I think, all the evidence. The Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department has reopened the case in the fall of 2011 and has requested the current chief medical examiner coroner to reevaluate the case. Okay, and I'm, I'm just going to skip around because it's, there's a lot of pages. But what I'm going to skip around to are the what I feel is the important part. There was another meeting with the detectives on March 2nd, 2012, where the current chief medical examiner coroner discussed his evaluation of the case and concern for the non-accidental mechanism for certain bruises of the upper extremities. He also opined that there were there was no evidence of head trauma and that the bruises, especially in the upper extremities, appear fresh and could have occurred before she entered the water. So he's saying something happened before she got in the water. Correct. Basically. Correct. Makes sense. Mrs. Wagner was reportedly found face down floating in the ocean 200 yards off of Blue Cavern Point, the isthmus area of Catalina Island north of where the dinghy was found near the shoreline. The dinghy, which was located, had the key in the ignition in the off position. The gear was in neutral, and the oars were tied down, indicating that the boat was never used. The dress Mrs. Wood was wearing was a one-piece plaid blue and red nightgown with no underclothing. And also, too, just prior to that, it says appears it appeared that the Zodiac, that would be the dinghy, had just drifted to the position where it was found, having never been started. Now, let's talk about what they find on her body. Yeah, her actual body. Mrs. Wagner was a 43-year-old, weighed approximately 120 pounds, and was 64 inches in height. The right forearm showed a 4-inch by 1-inch diffuse bruising on the lateral aspect and a few bruises on the back of hand. The left wrist showed a slight deformity in the lateral caudal of the... It's hard to read. And then there's also super flesh bruise in this area a half an inch in, dynam- in diameter. There were multiple small half an inch to one inch fresh bruises in the left anterior ladder, lateral thigh. There was a two inch recent bruise to the left knee. There were recent bruises to the right upper leg in the area and right ankle. The anterior neck showed a small scratch There was also a superficial abrasion in the left forehead, left brow, and the left upper cheek with an upward direction. There was white froth in the nasal oral area. There was a recent bruise to the back of the left thigh. A few days old bruises were on the back of the right thigh and knee, but they were fresh bruises and scratches to the right posterior leg. Now, what they also find in her stomach, it contained 500 cc's of semi-solid, partially digested food material, which could either be chicken or fish-type substance. In the small intestines, they they contained two pills consistent with vitamin-like substance. There was also smell of alcohol in the stomach. The urinary bladder was full The urinary bladder was filled with 300 cc's of amber-colored urine. The brain showed no injury. So, to me, 
It kind of sounds like somebody beat her up and threw her in the water and then untied the dinghy to make it look like she took the boat. Correct. And the and on page six of the coroner's office, it even says, there are conflicting statements as to when the decedent went missing from the boat and whether there were verbal arguments between the decedent and her husband. The call about her missing from the Splendor came only at 1.30 on November 29th, 1981. The fact that her stomach contained 500 cc's of partially digested food material supports the opinion of the time of death being around midnight, especially given the information that dinner was consumed between 8 and 9 p.m. on November 28th, 1981. With the presence of fresh bruises in the upper extremities in the right forearm area and a small scratch in the anterior neck, this examiner is unable to exclude non-accidental mechanism causing these injuries. The Zodiac dinghy was not available for sheriff's departments to evaluate when they went to examine the Splendor with the new owner. The original theory of Mr. Millard that there were scratches on the sideboard side of the dinghy could not be evaluated further as no nail clipping was collected during the original autopsy ex examination. So basically, the conclusion that she was in the dinghy and fell out of the dinghy and was struggling to get into the dinghy cannot be confirmed because that was one of the theories that they had in the beginning. Correct. So based on, A, the fact that she was wearing a blue and red plaid flannel nightgown, down jacket, socks with no underlining, but had jewelry, ring, bracelet, right hand, three rings on left, and a chain around her wrists. B, the intoxicated state. C, the lack of any life jacket. D, dinging have never been used. E, her bladder still containing 300 cc's of urine. F, lack of history of any suicidal ideations or note. G, given the time of incident around midnight in darkness, this medical examiner is unable to exclude non-vitilation, unplanned entry into the water. The location of the bruises, the mul multiplicity of the bruises, lack of head trauma, or facial bruising support the bruising having occurred prior to the entry of the water. Since there are many unanswered questions and limited additional evidence available for evaluation, it is opined by this medical examiner that the manner of death should be left undetermined. And they go on to say the cause of, this, the cause of death will be changed to drowning and other undetermined factors. So that's how come they change it because they are now acknowledging that she has bruises that they absolutely cannot explain. Right. And one of the original people who was present for the original examination was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Michael Franco. Dr. Michael Franco was like a uh, new coroner and he was present for the original autopsy, and per a article in Vanity Fair, he decided to come forward, and I'm quoting him because it was the right thing to do. Now, Franco says he saw and observed suspicious bruises on Natalie's anterior thighs and shins, bruises he described as friction burns, and I'm quoting friction burns. And he states, I remember the triations were in the opposite direction of someone trying to get onto a boat. It was almost like somebody being pushed off. And because of the significant amount of bruising in the lower anterior thighs and shins, 
That's what caused my attention. She would have had to have been pushed forcefully off or there was a force that was pulling her off or something. The amount of noticeable bruising to the thigh should not have been there. And he says, I mentioned this with Dr. Noguchi, who was the original official coroner. I mentioned to him of the abrasions on Natalie. I told him I was having trouble understanding them. I said that they needed to be in the opposite direction of what one would expect as to her cause of death. I remember when I told him who I was, he hesitantly stopped doing what he was doing, looked up at me, nodded his head, didn't say anything, and then continued doing what he was doing. What he, and I believe he's meaning Dr. Noguchi, said was, some things are better left unsaid. So maybe he was trying to cover it up. Who knows? Well, here's the deal with Noguchi. He was under, well, I'll say this. Frank Sinatra sent a letter to the L.A. Board of Supervisors, and I'm quoting a woman by the name of Suzanne Finstan, who herself has put out Natalie Wood, the complete biography. It's uh, been her work. She says that in the letter that Frank Sinatra sent to the L.A. Board of Supervisors, that, quote-unquote, coroners should be seen and not heard. And basically, this shuts down any op- opportunity for a, a firm conclusion from the coroner's office. So he's under pressure because he's got all these people putting pressure on his bosses. Now, on top of everything else, and, and just like you just said, part of the reason why they open this up is I'm going to quote Detective Ralph Hernandez is because she looked like the victim of an assault based on the second look of sounded like it to me the autopsy sounded like somebody hit her in the face and threw her in the water right we'll get to that now with Dennis backing up to saying hey here's what really happened and I'm quoting him Wagner was very serious about having the stories being the same. Dennis says, it was kind of like, here we are. Okay, Dennis, Christopher, me, this is what it is. You got it? That's what it is. Okay? Okay? If all of the stories are the same, there's really not much to investigate. So Dennis is saying that Robert Wagner told him what to say. Correct. And... Dennis goes on to claim that in the months following the drowning incident, Wagner was basically keeping him under close watch. He said that he was staying at the Wagner home. He found it hard to leave because Wagner kept bodyguards stopping him at the door. He also said that, this is all Dennis claiming this, that Robert was starting to lavish him with favors that all of a sudden he was receiving roles in commercials and even a small part on Wagner's show, Heart to Heart. And he also says that Wagner started offering him lumps, sums of money for no obvious reasons. And, you know, De- Dennis is like, I don't know why he's doing this. And his friends are like, he, it's hush money, dude. It's hush money. And if you accept it, you got to keep your mouth shut. So he, he said, we need to have the same story. And the thing is, is that that's exactly what the original detective 
1981 said, all the men on board told me the same thing. And Dennis is saying there's a reason why. And the other thing too, again, Dennis is not the only person with inconsistent stories. Wagner himself was interviewed twice. The second time he was interviewed, he tells the detectives pretty much the same story with one essential difference. He states that he remembers a time between Natalie going to her room and Robert checking on her that Walken had come out to the deck for some air as if to suggest that maybe something that Christopher Watkins had something more to do with this. The first story is, well, I think she went to shore. We thought she went to shore. Then in 1986, Wagner says he claims that she fell overboard because she was trying to tighten the rope of the dinghy. And, you know, there is to some degree the backstory of her always asking someone to fix or tighten the rope of the dinghy because it was always banging against the, the boat. But again, everyone has said, you know, she always referred to somebody else to do that. It wasn't something that she would take on herself. More importantly, we have to remember this is a stormy weekend and it is kind of curious. And I'm just going to point this little humdinger out. When we look at the body, the condition of her body, she's got a full bladder, which people said if she'd fallen into the water and the shock of the water and potentially drowning probably would have caused her to have an accident. She's not wearing any underwear. And more importantly, she's not wearing any shoes. If I were... Kind of go to town, I'd put shoes on. I wouldn't be wearing my pajamas. And I would put underwear on. And I would put my shoes on. Uh Because I wouldn't want my Argyle socks, because they would get wet just getting into the dinghy. I mean, who knows? She's not properly dressed, is my point. I don't know. And, I mean, I know that they were drunk, but I mean... According to Dennis, she was putting the tea on and, you know, she had food. She had vitamins in her system. So someone can say, and she does have a pretty potent alcohol level, but she's thinking about these extra things. She got dressed for the nighttime. And again, she took her vitamins. I mean, this is not the behavior of someone who's like, you know what? I'm out of here, especially the night before when she's like, you know what? I'm out of here. Dennis, get the boat. Why wouldn't she say that this time around? That's Dennis's job. Everybody recognizes this. So here we have a scenario where it doesn't make sense. Now, I am not accusing anybody. I wouldn't. We don't know what happened. I recognize that the L.A. Sheriff's Department has pointed to Robert Wagner as a person of interest. That's the terms they're using. And they have gone to Robert Wagner, who now lives in Colorado, He absolutely refuses to speak to them. So I just want to kind of project a speculation. Because once again, I repeated the fact that the, the dinghy didn't even look like it was used. And I'm not going to say I think so and so did it because I wasn't there, but I do think whatever happened based on what I've seen and red, it makes sense that she was assaulted based on the bruises. It makes sense that perhaps her body was placed on the dinghy and in a way where she would naturally just fall off eventually 
Because if she's sitting in the actual dinghy, then she wouldn't have fallen out, period. And I think the dinghy was basically just pushed away because, again, like the coroner's report states, it didn't even look like it was in use. So if she's unconscious and put in the dinghy, it's not her that's turning. She can't turn the dinghy on. It's not her. She can't drive the dinghy away. So the person who put her halfway on the dinghy, you know, positioned her for her to eventually slip out, pushed the dinghy away from the boat, and with her being partially on the dinghy, she fell into the water and drowned. The other thing I felt was kind of interesting was the fact when they pulled her out of the water, her jacket fell off, which to me suggests, again, this is just a suggestion, that the jacket wasn't properly on her. So, like, maybe someone slid slid one arm through her to make it look like she took her jacket. Yeah. Because not wearing a jacket looks suspicious. Mm -hmm. They just forgot that she was wearing any underwear or shoes. Or shoes, yeah. Because when they lift her out. That's not suspicious at all. Right. The jacket actually starts to float away. So it's not like the jacket was secure. Right. And again, it suggests to me that someone just slipped it through one arm. Right. Just to look like she was trying to leave. Right. But no personal effects from what I read was missing. So what was she going to do even if she got into the dinghy? And again, it's stormy. It's rough seas. she going to check into a hotel on her good looks? I don't think so. In her argyle wet socks? I don't. Where she's found, how she's found, and the bruises do suggest something unfortunate, something sinister. Yeah. Quite possibly happened. All right, so that's what we have for you tonight on to business. We have a Facebook page, so Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. If you are curious or interested in would like to join, send me a request. But in the meantime, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are or have an unsolved mystery you'd like us to go over, send us an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Now, tonight I'm actually launching because it has come to my attention that we've done over a hundred episodes, and that is absolutely wonderful. Whoop, whoop. And our anniversary is coming up. Our two year anniversary, my two year, everyone who's participated, two year anniversary, has coming up quickly. And with that in mind, I'd like to launch a little, I don't know, raffle. So here's here's what you need to do. You need to shoot me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com saying, hello, my name is so-and-so, and telling us the very first episode that you listened to that caught your attention was like, hmm, where the dark corners are sounds pretty mega awesome. And we'll put all uh, emails into a bucket. And the deadline to turn in your submission of your first episode is September 8th. So the announcement will be on September 15th. So the deadline for the for the contest, the giveaway, will be September 8th. Have all your emails in by then. And then the announcement will be made on September 15th. What is the prize? You know, I'm not sure, but I'm kind of leaning towards getting T-shirts made. Something cool. Well, I think a T-shirt's cool with our t-shirt, logo on it. T-shirts are cool. So, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. She Maybe say, a cough cup. And she say, and husband Jeff. With husband Jeff, Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, final thoughts, husband Jeff. You didn't say it, but I'll say it. There's somebody who smells guilty in this whole thing. I'm not going to say any names because I know you don't want me to. But 
I think the person knows that he's that he is guilty. Okay. All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why we hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Mm-hmm.